Good morning, church. Let's stand up to our feet. I'm so excited to be able to worship the Lord with you this morning. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Let's enter the presence of the Lord with gladness in our heart.
As we got started. Hey, man. Excuse me, I've been interrupted. Hello. 
I've always wanted to do this. Um, tonight, uh, tonight the Super Bowl turns 49. And on Thursday, this guy right here turns 49. That's pretty amazing. Um, this guy right here, the older I get, um, the more I realize I do not have an average father. I do not serve under an average pastor. And we as a church, we're not led by an average leader. And uh, I just want to say thank you for everything. Um, you are you're my hero. You are the best person that I know. And it's not even close. Um, and I just want to say happy birthday in front of everybody. Happy birthday. And Andrew, could you give us a friendly happy birthday key? Can we stand and sing to uh, Pastor Ron? This is great. Thank you, guys. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Yeah. That works good. Big finish. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Wow. Our, our greatest gift outside of our salvation to Kelly and me and our marriage is our kids and Brian and Lindsay and Connor just keep us so motivated to, to be all that God's called us to be. And we've always done this together from the day God called us into ministry and then gave us Ryan, then Lindsay, then Connor. We've always done it together. Someone was telling me just before service how much they appreciated Ryan and his playing on the drums. And I just told them the story. We were at a church in Memphis. We had an awesome drummer. And... God called him to go serve the Lord at the L.A. Dream Center. And it was a very sudden transition. And we really had no one else to step up. Ryan had never played the drums. He kind of taught himself. And Kelly taught him to play the bass guitar at a certain level and was helping out with the youth. And so Kelly took Ryan. They went to church on a Saturday. And she said, you need to get on the drum set. And she played the keys while he played the drums, and they stopped and started and stopped. And that Sunday, he was our drummer. It's like I'm preaching on the fiery furnace. He was thrown to the fire on, on that Sunday. And, and the rest is history. Lindsay's just such a servant. Connor, awesome. We're just blessed. And six years ago today, we started here. And we're on an awesome journey. And Daniel has just had a way of, uh, bringing a spiritual focus and the Holy Spirit through this has brought a fresh intensity. And today I invite you to Daniel chapter 3. 600 years before Jesus was born of a virgin, this evil king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar goes into Jerusalem, into Israel, and he kidnaps the very best. He brings them to Babylon to assimilate them into their culture, to change their language and literature, even their names, so that the way they would think and talk and live would not only be an assimilation into culture, but he would conform them so that no one would ever resist the way Babylon functioned. 
And so we've been watching Daniel, but today we broaden it out to see three of his friends, three who were also taken and brought into Babylon. This is a familiar passage to many of you, but I pray today we would all look at it with fresh eyes. So we'll skip to verse 14 where it says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Try to connect with the kind of pressure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have felt. It's clear if they don't bow, they are going to be thrown into the fire. And that has to be one of the cruelest ways to die. The story is this. Nebuchadnezzar had built this golden image, an idol. The decree was you bow and you worship or you burn. They refused to bow. Now it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't give a name to this golden image. He says he built this image to many gods. Now that's important because the Babylonian culture was pluralistic. So the pressure that's on these three Hebrew young adults at this point is the pressure of pluralism. You will see how this connects to the very culture that we're living in. So Nebuchadnezzar was not asking these young men to worship the gods of Babylon instead of their God. He was saying to them, you worship all of these gods in addition to your God. He was not saying you can't worship your God. He was just saying you can worship your God as long as you acknowledge all of the other gods. So, if you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will privatize your faith, because after all, if it helps you when you're by yourself, then fine. But when you're in public, you will be like everyone else. And everyone else is going to worship many gods. So, don't think that your faith is exclusive. And don't think there are claims of your faith that are exclusive. Don't espouse one way, but many. Do you see the relevance? And so, we watch as these young men refuse to bow. They refuse to blend. They have a conviction, that conviction is we love and honor the one true God. And we will allow that distinction to set us apart. They were not uninvolved in Babylonian culture. They believed as Jeremiah did to love the city. They worked within the government. They weren't protesters of the city. But when it came opportunity 
And when the challenge was there and a line was drawn, they were willing to stand rather than bow. One application for you and me is that in this day, there is a cultural concept that says God's on the top of the mountain and we're all at the bottom of the mountain spiritually and we all need to get to the top to be reconciled to him. And there are many ways to get from where we are to where he is. So let's not espouse one way. You can have your way, but then make room for me to choose my way. And at that juncture, at that crossroads, we have a choice to make. And our choice is to base our convictions from what the Bible says. And the scripture says in the book of John, Jesus speaking, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that would make us distinct. That would give us a conviction. Now imagine the illustration of the submarine that the deeper it goes, the more outer pressure there is on it. So there must be strength on the inside to offset the pressure on the outside. At this point, These young men are deep in the Babylonian culture and now the pressure has reached an all-time high. Will they just go along in order to get along? If you're in business, it could be that point where you know you're absolutely violating honesty. You're violating your integrity before God in order to execute that business plan. And when you do that, you are bowing. You can say, but I don't own the company. I'm not the boss. I'm just going along in order to get along. As a young person, there's peer pressure to do all kinds of things. If you say, I'm just going to go along. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be weird. I'm just going to go along in order to get along. At that point, you are bowing. When you are distinct, which means at some point along the way, you will take a stand. At that point, you separate yourself as one who is not blending, but is willing to be distinct. And that distinction will be what it takes to offset the pressure of this pluralistic culture. And I challenge you, encourage you, to be willing to resist the pressure of pluralism. I challenge you, To know that along the way, this is not going to be easy. But there is such influence on your willingness to stay in a God-honoring life. If you believe that, give the Lord a praise today. A God-honoring life. Now continue with me at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. In that first portion, I wanted us to see the pressure. Here, I want you to see their devotion. And as I put the word devotion on the screen, 
I want to give you a description. I want you to look at the precision of their devotion. Because what we see in this passage helps us to know what kind of devotion offsets outer pressure. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, we need you to know that we believe our God, notice the description, is able. They go on to say, we believe he will rescue us from you, from this furnace. And they continue, but even if he doesn't, what they're saying is he can rescue us through it if he so chooses. But even if he doesn't rescue us from the furnace, we're being very clear, we are not bowing. And we will never serve your gods. They're not saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we need you to know that we will not bow. If our God delivers us from the fire, we will serve him and him alone. What we're seeing here is the precision of their devotion. Their devotion was that they loved God for God. They didn't love God for what he had done in terms of consequent or circumstances in their life or how this situation may play out. They're saying, if he delivers us and we don't have to go in the furnace, great. If we have to go through the fire and we die, so be it. We love God for God, not for outcomes. When I say that I love God and then a tough time hits, and I'm caught off guard, and I, I have this thought. I've been living for God, and, I, and why is he allowing this? Then I've subtly added an agenda to my love. That agenda says, Lord, I love you as long as you are doing things in a way that I think is correct or right or appropriate or fair. So I want us to learn the precision of their devotion is we love God for God. He can save us from it. He can save us through it. So let's just dissect that for a moment. They're saying we believe in a God of divine intervention. And so do we. He can save you from anything. He can divinely intervene. They're saying God's sovereign. So even if we go in the fire, He can save us through the fire. If we die... We wake up that very moment we die here, we wake up there in the very arms of God. So they're saying, we believe in his power to intervene. We believe in his sovereignty to keep us. But their focus isn't on power or sovereignty. It's their devotion that says, we really aren't focused on one way or the other because that would be adding an agenda. We're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we love God for God, only God, the God. He's the God of gods. We'll never serve another God. We don't know how this is going to play out. Because he's God, it could play out several ways. But here's the bottom line. We will serve him and him only. That's the precision of their devotion. And that kind of a devotion to God will offset the pressure of culture. When they were ever along the way in their life, because it wasn't that day that that kind of devotion started in their life. 
Wherever along the way that they made that resolve to honor him at that level, at that moment, they were fireproof. It, it, fireproof can mean they didn't have to go in the fire. Fireproof can mean they went in the fire. Unless the Lord comes, we will die. And death is not an enemy because a victory has been won. So if you get uh, sick and there, there's a lot of challenge in your life, God can divinely intervene and heal you. Even when doctors say to you, we've done everything. There's no other treatment plan. There, there's nothing in the world. It, we've exhausted all measures. There's nothing we can do. God can still, as the great physician, intervene and bring healing to your life. But at some point, if the Lord doesn't come, you will die. And death is never an enemy for the child of God. Just recently, there's a young man in the church in Virginia where our family serves, and he's been fighting a prolonged battle with cancer. And it's been one of those things where he would come through, get in remission, everything seemed clear, it would come back. Well, this last time, about a year ago, they said, look, there, you can't take any more chemo. Your body can't handle it. If this comes back, there's nothing else we can do. He goes to the doctor, and they discover more tumors in his collarbone area. He goes then to New York, some of the greatest surgeons in the world. And when they go in to do the surgery, the surgeon does one more x-ray, and he cannot find the tumors. He stays watching over the young man who's been sedated for surgery and sends the nurses to get a team of doctors to look at what he's looking at so that he doesn't make a mistake. And all of those doctors, they all said, you're right, it's not there. They have the documents where the tumors are there and there's no treatment. If this surgery doesn't work, there's not, this is a young man going into his senior year. If the surgery doesn't work, it's hopeless. When they go in to do the surgery and do one more scan, they can't find those tumors. It's been confirmed by doctor after doctor. That was a divine intervention of God. I have a, a, an incredible lady, aunt of mine, who just went home to be at the Lord on Thanksgiving Day, who had cancer, who went into treatment, and fought and prayed. So here's this young man, and he, he is healed. It's a divine intervention. Here is my aunt who went on to be with the Lord. What am I telling you? We have a God who has won the victory. Now, he can save you from, or he can save you through. Because my aunt has never been better than she is right now. See, if, if, if in this life only we have hope, then we among men are most miserable. But our hope goes beyond the here and the now. <clears throat> now, we're going to get into some good stuff here today. Are you tracking? You see this? The precision of my devotion is not I love you if. The precision of my devotion is I love you. And that will never change. Now, continue. Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 19, was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face 
became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. So this furnace is now as hot as Nebuchadnezzar's anger, so hot that his best soldiers die, throwing them in the furnace. They're suffering. They're in a literal furnace, but in Scripture, fire is also used as a metaphor for suffering. For trouble. Let me show you. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 12, 4, 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. See this and get your biblical concept clear. This is scripture. If I don't understand suffering... Then when it hits my life, I'm surprised, I'm confused, and I may get into that thought process of why me, why now, and why this. When the Bible says, don't be surprised, and don't think as if something strange were happening to you. It says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through. Now, If I'm living a good life, it just seems that I shouldn't have to suffer. But Jesus lived a perfect life, and no one suffered like him. Settle it in your mind. In this world, there is suffering. There was a time where we preached, if you could get your devotion to a certain level, you could live beyond, excluded from suffering. And that was like espoused. Like, if you could get your faith to a certain level, whatever level that was... That you wouldn't be touched by the pain of life. The Bible says that in this world, there is trouble. There is fiery trials. Okay, so we, we're clear on that. So what can we learn from it? First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. These trials, these fiery trials, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. When you understand like these young adults did in Daniel 3, and like Peter teaches us here in his letter, we will know that suffering is to our character what fire is to gold. The gold cannot be all that it is created to be without the fire. And you and I will never be all God's created us to be without suffering. And suffering is to your character what fire is to gold. Now, what does that mean? 
It says, well, our faith is being tested through these fiery trials so that there's a genuineness, there's a depth of character. What does that mean? So I just did some thinking this week, all week long. Lord, what does that mean? And I evaluated pain in this world. What have I seen it do in people that were very clear that in this world you have trouble, but God's still in control? Here's what I've seen. Wisdom. You learn more about yourself than you can learn in any other way. Compassion. You care about other people at a different level when you've suffered yourself. Trust in God like it gets fortified. And then finally, empowerment on the talent God has given you because when you've gone through suffering and kept the faith, there is a depth of anointing. There is a a texture to the expression of the gift that God's put in you coming out of you to other people. Now, if we aren't clear on what I've just said on the fact that there's suffering, then suffering can absolutely break you. I I, I have had the, the breaking of my spirit at times by by suffering, by pain, because I didn't evaluate it through the biblical truth. I have watched other people be completely broken by suffering because they loved God with an agenda. And when that suffering came, it wasn't part of their agenda, and so their love for God was gone. What if today I came out here and said, here's my sermon. Today I'm going to tell you how to have more wisdom, more compassion, more trust in God, and more empowerment, like great influence through the gift God has given you. How many of you want to know how to have more of those incredible things? Everybody's like, yes. And then I'll say, well, here's the message. You need some suffering. Be like, because that's the only way you get it. Now, does that mean, well, then let's all come to the altar and say, Lord, we just pray for suffering. Let it rain. God, I'm praying for the deepest, hardest valley I've ever gone. Lord, just just smash me into pieces. That's not what we pray. I'm I'm not hoping for suffering. I am not wanting suffering. I am praying, you know, for God's... All of that. But when suffering comes, I'm not going to be derailed. I'm not going to fade. I'm not throwing in the towel because I understand it does come. And I realize when it comes, God's in control. He may divinely intervene. He may save me through it. He's going to save me. So I'm about to learn more about myself than I could ever learn. I'm going to have more compassion as a result of this than I could ever otherwise have. I'm going to learn a trust in God because when you learn you can trust Him through the fire, then you pick up a lesson you can't learn in any other way. When you sense God using you because you have weathered some storms by God's help, because you have walked some deep valleys by God's help, then my friend, it comes through the expression of your personality, your gifting, the talent that God has given you. Fire is to your character. Suffering is to your character what fire is to gold. Now, let's continue. Verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. 
Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, in his sadistic ways, was just far enough where the fire couldn't burn him like it did his best soldiers, but he could still see what was going on in the flames. And his expectation was he was going to watch them tortured by being burned to death. And as he's watching, he sees four men in the fire. Now notice the description. Unbound, walking around. What must that have been like? Walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. This is amazing. Looks like a God, singular. Then Nebuchadnezzar, then Nebuchadnezzar, Neb, came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the what? Most high. This is Mr. Pluralism himself. This is Mr. I built the biggest golden statue the world has ever seen. Two, many gods. You worship yours. You worship yours. You can have yours, but you're going to have many in addition to yours. Now he's saying, because three young men decided not to blend in, to not go along to get along, because they had a conviction to honor God and they stood instead of bowing. Now the most evil man in the culture is saying, there is one God. He's the most high God. Wow. And he says, servants of the most high God, come out here. Come here. Now in my carnal mind, if I was them, I said, no, 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 no. You come in here. It's all good in here. We're walking around. We are just, we're happy to meet with you. I'd have started singing. Come a little closer. It, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors. Oh yeah, they crowded around. Yes, they did. And they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise, that means honor, allegiance, focus. Praise to the God, singular. That word God that he used means in Hebrew, Elohim. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree, new law, 
If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be burned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And that is the God you serve if you are a Christian. Now, pressure, devotion, suffering, presence, presence, presence. What do I mean by presence? Look at Isaiah. This is one of my favorite passages. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, O Jacob, matter of fact, why don't you read this out loud? Let's do this. It'll, it'll bless you. Ready? But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Can we praise our awesome God? When Nebuchadnezzar says, there will be no other God praise but this God, for this God sent an angel. In this instance, we know there are angels, and we know in the Old Testament there are many appearances of angels. You need to know this. The fourth man in the furnace was not an angel. The fourth man in the fire was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus himself. It was Jesus Christ walking around in fire so how do you suffer keeping that precision of devotion because you know that Jesus Christ has gone through the ultimate furnace and to the degree that you know that like you know that he went through the ultimate furnace and he was victorious to the degree that you know that you will walk through your furnace aware of his presence, saying, my God, whom I serve, is able, he is willing, he will, he can rescue me from, and he can rescue me through. To the degree that you know he has won the victory himself. What do I mean by he went through the ultimate furnace? Join him in Gethsemane, where he's taking upon himself the wrath the anguish of the sin of humanity. He goes from there to a mockery of a trial. And then he is cruelly tortured. He was beaten and marred, Isaiah says, unrecognizable for your sin and mine. He's going through that ultimate furnace. It's, there's never been a furnace and there never will be a furnace as intense as that furnace. It intensified all the way through Friday. It remained intense through Saturday because Jesus wasn't just in some tomb. He was doing work. He went into the to hell itself and he took authority by taking the keys of death and hell. And on Sunday, 
He rose again victorious. He came out of the furnace. He didn't even smell like smoke. He was the ultimate victor. And to the degree that you know that He has overcome through that furnace, you, my friend, will persevere through your furnace and your faith, your character will be strengthened because that suffering will be to your character as fire is to gold. And so here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. He didn't know how prophetic he was being. Last line. For there is no God who can rescue like this. We start out with ultimate pluralism. We end with absolute clear truth. It's still true today. There is no God. Not that there's an option and ours is better, that the God of the Bible is better. No. There is no option. Every other world religion will offer you salvation, but it's salvation through works. And when you've worked hard, watch how this will play out. When you've worked hard to live up to a better life, which every other religion requires for salvation through their philosophy. When you've worked hard and you're living a good life and suffering hits when it always will, you will feel disenfranchised. You will feel mistreated. You will feel that it's unfair. It will, And you will have nothing to take you through suffering because it's all based at the bottom line in your ability to persevere. The God of the Bible, He is the one, the only one who can rescue. And He can rescue from the fire of sin. Today you can be saved. He also can rescue those of you who are believers, but you're in the fiery trial. He can rescue your faith from being sabotaged by a wrong perspective a wrong philosophy. And you will know that this very day, He's working in you wisdom, compassion, trust, and empowerment. That's what's on the line today. I want you to close your eyes. If you'd say, Ron, you've spoken truth today, truth that I need to hear. And you're in this category of people who've never been saved, who've never accepted Jesus Christ. And you hear me say, He's the one true God, the only one who can rescue. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. And you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. And today you want to open your heart to the ultimate rescue. Would you raise your hand right now say, I need to accept Christ. I need you to lift them, hold them high where I can see them. I can include you in this prayer. This is your day. Don't let anything else try to threaten that leading of God in your heart. This is your day. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. Just raise your hand right now. Number two, you'd say, I know Jesus, but I'm in, I'm in a trial. And I, I need that precision of devotion. I need that awareness of presence. I need this fresh clarity about suffering. And I want to be open to my character being strengthened by this suffering like fire purifies gold. I want to come out of this better. I want to come out of this not even smelling like smoke because I haven't lost faith. I haven't given up. I haven't turned my back. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand right now. You say, that's me. That's it. I see it. I know it. 
I've been living in this word all week. I know there are many people. Now, here's what I want to do. Put your hands down. I want everybody across the place to stand with me. We are the church. We're, we are a faith family. We're a family that trusts in the Lord. We're a family that believes in prayer. We believe in the power of God to be active in your life right now. And I want to ask this team to sing. And as they sing, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come here and I want to pray with you. If you know you needed to raise your hand but you didn't, you come anyway. You're going to be encouraged by the atmosphere of people that believe in you and believe in what God can do for you in the midst of the struggle. God is able. You believe it? God is able. God is willing. He is God. As they sing, would you come right now and let God do a fresh work in your life? Bible says, since we are encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let you and I throw aside, throw off every weight and sin that could slow us down in running this race. Daniel is in that stadium. Seattle Seahawks, they're known for having the 11th man. It's, it's the stadium. It's all of their people, right? Or is it the 12th man? Yeah. Don't want to get my preaching wrong here today. It's good. The 12th man. Today, in that cloud of witnesses, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going, come on. All of you at the assembly, you can do it. Lock arms with each other. Daniel's saying, you can do it. David, who went out on the the battlefield and fought the giant, who, who walked through the valley, he's up there saying, You can do it. Just keep running. Don't stop. Don't give up. You know what? You have someone like I do. My grandmother's up there. And she's going, keep running. You got this. God's with you. And the people around you right here are an encouragement to you. Some of you, your faith is such an inspiration to me and to those around you. So we're surrounded all of these witnesses that say we're going to make it so let's not allow one thing to slow us down to take away our focus to take away our intensity let's run this race until Jesus comes amen give the Lord a shout of praise this morning come on everybody come on with all of your heart he's so good we love you Lord we will serve you Lord We will stay focused and faithful. Praise God. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day.